Amen. Thank you, worship team, for leading us like you do each week. There was a USA Today poll that was polling the greatest fears of Americans. And the first one on there was fear of being in a car crash. The second was uh, fear of cancer. I, this was interesting. The fifth one was uh, fear of, being, of getting meat poisoning, being poisoned by meat. I can honestly say I've never struggled with that fear. Never met a piece of meat that I did not like, I guess. But as I looked at the different issues on the survey is that most, all of the majority of them dealt in some way or another with the fear of death. Death is mysterious for all, but it was completely, uh, the Christian hope has completely transformed uh, the view of death for those who believe. But there's still a sense of grief and sorrow and sadness and an element of mystery because we are alive Yet one day, we will not be alive physically in this life anymore. And there's so much that we obviously don't know about it. I remember my boys were thinking about it several years ago. We went to visit the gravesite of my father who passed away in 1999. So I was there with my wife, my mother, and my three oldest sons who were very young at the time. And we were looking at Papa's grave and reading what it said on the headstone. And it said, uh, John 17, 17, it says, Thy word is truth. <clears throat> and that's what my dad was, uh, built his life on, the word of God. And then right next to it, my mother and dad, several years before he passed away, they bought their uh, plots together. And so there was the plot, and then there's the headstone. And for my mother, it's just the plot. And it says her name, Beverly Ann Lee, and then it says 1940 dash, and then that was blank. And so I was telling the boys, this is where your, your papa's body is, but his soul is up in heaven because he knew Christ and he's there. <clears throat> and then right next to it was Nana's, uh, it just said Beverly Ann Lee. And I said, and this is where, uh, I didn't know how to say it. I said, this is where um, Nana is going to be buried one day. <laughs> and they look over at her and are like, when is she going in there, you know? It really wasn't my best moment in terms of wording. I probably should have just left that alone. You know, they probably didn't even know how to read yet, but they were just real curious. Why did they make this for Nana? If she's not going in there, when is she going in there? And of course, I said, well, and Nana looked at me, and I said, well, not anytime soon, we hope. We really don't know uh, when she'll go in there. And the truth is, we don't know the appointed time for our death. We do, we do embrace the spirit of what Job says in Job 1 at 21, where he says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We know that the Lord appoints our birth. We know that the Lord appoints our death. And we can praise him when we have the hope of our faith in Christ. This morning, as we continue our series called Fearless, or discovering the joy of replacing fear with faith, we're going to look at a fear that is common to man, and that is overcoming the fear of death. Our story we're going to look at today is in John chapter 11, and it, it doesn't only de deal with fear of death, it also deals with grief and just a Christian view and understanding of death in general. But as we apply these principles to our life, God, I believe, can meet us strongly as we seek to overcome this encroaching fear, the fear of death. This is the story of Lazarus and his rising from the dead. And this is a family that Christ was very close to. You might remember the story in the book of Luke where Christ went and spent some time at the house of, 
Lazarus and his two sisters, Martha and Mary. And that was Mary was busying herself in the kitchen and and uh, Martha was busying herself in the kitchen and Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus listening in closely. And the, the sense you get is that Christ was very close to this family. Well, Christ was with his disciples a few miles away from Bethany where Lazarus was reportedly very sick. And they sent word to Christ saying, Lazarus is sick, you know, can you please come and visit him? Now, Mary and Martha knew about Jesus' healing power. They knew about his ability. They, they had likely seen him do miracles. And so when they asked Christ to come for this purpose, their motives were certainly clear. They wanted Christ to do his miracle-working power on Lazarus before he died. And for reasons that don't really come out in the story, Christ took his time arriving there. Essentially, the disciples were like, hey, are we going? And he said, yes, we're going, but we're going to go this way. In other words, he took a detour. He took the long way of getting to the nearby town of Bethany. And by the time Christ showed up, Lazarus had been dead for four days. And to Martha and Mary, Jesus showed up four days late. Maybe you've been there before in your life where Jesus seemed to show up just a little bit late in terms of what you were hoping and what you were thinking. But in this tremendous exchange and dialogue between Martha and Mary, we can see some powerful principles this morning for overcoming the fear of death. Well, as Christ enters the town, we, we see in verse 20, it says that when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. That, that sounds a little bit more like we understand of their personality, that Martha had to be doing something. She had to be on the move and busying herself. And then in verse 21, we hear her approach Jesus and say, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Now, it is hard. One of the things we miss from reading the Bible is we miss out on understanding inflection. We don't know facial expressions. We don't know tone. So it's sort of hard to figure out exactly Martha's angle here. But her words express repressed disappointment with a touch of optimism. Lord, if you'd been here, we, we know that this wouldn't have happened. But even now, I'm sure you can do something. It was an honesty, it was an openness, and, and frankly, her words, though there is some mystery about exactly how she said them and exactly what she meant, her words give us our first principle this morning for overcoming the fear of death, and that's number one on your outline, that's this, to give your distress to Christ. <laughs> I mean, Martha was literally going to Jesus himself, and, and with her grief of about death and with her anxiety about the death of her brother and maybe it could have been fear as well because there was an eeriness about death for the Hebrew culture and especially the Greek culture of the day it was the most dreadful thing you could fathom death but Martha did the right thing in this sense that she was able to talk to Christ about her distress and maybe death has hit you on the side of the grieving person and you've really never come to the place where you can talk to the Lord about it, where you can give your fear to Him with confidence, where you can give your anxiety and, and despondency over to the Lord and place it fully and squarely in His holy and sovereign and awesome 
hands. And I urge you to learn to develop that communication with God where you're not carrying around your grief and you're not overcome with burden about the pain that death often brings us our way. And maybe it's maybe you're struggling with your own timeline where the uncertainty maybe as the years have advanced and and you realize the reality since the death rate still hovers at 100 percent you realize your day is coming and there's mystery about it and you'd like to know a little bit more you'd like more information as to when and how and martha reminds us that we can give our distress to the living lord even our most personal and painful concerns go fully and completely into his hands now i like how christ interacts with her upon her statement of i'm sure lord whatever you ask can still be done maybe she's believing that the resurrection of my brother is possible by your power well then in verse 23 jesus said to her your brother will rise again and then in verse 24 martha answered i i know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Now, it's interesting. Jesus and Martha are using the same words, but they have completely different meanings. Maybe you've been there before. You've used words that were similar, but the person you were using those words to had a different meaning and a different understanding by the words you use. So it's really not about the words that we say, it's about the meaning we have behind the words. And this particular exchange shows that Martha lacked spiritual intuition. She was thinking about the physical, and she was thinking about one day, that at least she had a belief that the body would one day be resurrected at the end of the age. And later on, Sure, Lord, I understand. It'll work out. But I'm not really that concerned about then. I'm concerned about now. And she was not able to look past the stout words of Christ when he said, your brother will rise again. This brings us to a second principle for overcoming the fear of death, and that's this to develop spiritual perception. We need to ask God for grace to think spiritually in this very physical and this very material world. We sometimes very naturally begin just to think that all there is to this life is the physical. All there is to this life is this life. Sometimes our meanings are hard to explain and hard to get across to our children. I remember maybe it was around when my oldest two were about that same age as I told you about earlier. We were having trouble um, getting one of them to stay in their car seats. And, and the car seats back then in the early 90s weren't as locked down as they are today. There was When you graduated from your first car seat, you just pulled a little belt over this, and if you were able, if you were a pusher, boom, you could push it, and then it was all um, undone, and you could get out. We had, my, my wife had told our oldest son, don't ever do that. Don't ever push the button and get out of your car seat because you could die she just put it to him <laughs> nice and straight and a couple times he did that and she says nate you could die and uh if we got in the car and so he was learning okay i don't want to die 
Well, one day he was, he'd graduate out of the car seat. That was the coolest thing in our house ever was to graduate out of the car seat. You look over at your little brother all strapped in there like you're in prison and you just kind of, you know, hopefully didn't stick their tongue out at him, but it was like, ha, huh, you're a baby. Well, anyway, when Luke graduated to that easy to snap out of car seat, he pushed his button and he was trying to get out. And we, we hear this, this curdling scream in the back, Luke, you are going to die. We're like, what? And I, and I guess that was somewhat appropriate because Luke quickly got back. He did not want to die, you know. There, but there was some kind of spiritual, there was some kind of perception that was uh, lacking in it, grasping what mom was trying to say. And I believe we have the same trouble on the spiritual realm. Christ was speaking to her about right now your brother Lazarus is going to rise again because I have the power to do so. I, my, I myself embody that which is life and power and resurrection. You may not understand this because you don't understand who I actually am. I'm not just your normal house guest that comes over to teach you profound poetic truths. I am someone that is so other world that you can barely grasp. And frankly, his words in verse 25 immortal as they are, are so much deeper that we can get our mind around. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me even will live even though he dies. Now this particular statement leads us to the third principle this morning about overcoming the fear of death. It involves us, number three, that we understand who Jesus is. Who is he? A nice teacher? Is he just a miracle worker? Is he some amazing figure in ancient history? This is the fifth of seven, quote, I am statements in the book of John. He's already told them, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. Here he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Later, he'll tell them that I am the way and the truth of the life. And then he'll tell them, I am the true vine. He was trying to say, he was trying to take who God was out of a book, out of a synagogue, and into the person that he was, that he embodied deity, that he embodied truth, that he embodied life. And this, to me, out of the seven I am statements, may be the most profound and hard to get our mind around because he was speaking about right now. And he was also speaking in advance of what he would perform, the greatest act in the history of mankind, the cross, and then the resurrection. He said, I embody the resurrection. It's been powerful for me to think about who Christ is this week. Because it wasn't that I didn't know who he was in some ways, but I needed a greater sense of understanding. Because I, I, I'll tell you this, I had an interesting study time this Monday. I had prepared to do a different message uh, this week. I'd sort of mapped out where we're going in this series, and I'd sat down with the, verse, with the passage that I was to look at for this week. And as I looked at it, it not only did it not seem right, as I sought the Lord, it, it, he just kind of let me know that it wasn't right. And so as I said, all right, Lord, I, you, know, you know the calendar here, and you know what's going on, and uh, what is right? And as I began to pray and sense that I was supposed to preach on this passage, and then the fear that we were to address had to do with the fear of death. 
the more I begin to read, the more I begin to realize something strange about me is that I struggled with sort of a low grade in the back of my mind fear of death. It's not because I'm not sure where I'm going when I die. Because of the grace of Christ, I'm so thankful that I believe by his mercy that he is my name written in heaven. I think it's a matter of something I didn't really realize, but when, as I've told you before, how my father passed away at the age of 60, and when I turned 30 about 15 years ago, I was like, wow, that, I'm already in middle age if I live to be the age of my father. And, and slowly, and I'm not one who's real dismal on birthdays, but as the calendar kind of moves by and I realize, you know what, here I am at 44, and this might mean I have this many years, sometimes as, as moments happened in life, I kind of wondered, how much longer does God have me on this earth? And I didn't realize it, but there was something way in the back of my mind that was sort of looking at death from a grim and worldly, and I want to do this and this and this, Lord, before I die, rather than the Christian view that God has it. And so I was able this week to experience some freedom, banking my hope in who Jesus is. He is the resurrection and the life. And rather, when God's appointed timetable is for me or for anyone that I love, my hope rests firmly in who he is and not in any kind of calendar. Well, as this story goes on, Jesus' profound words continue. And in verse 25, it's sort of, it goes right into verse 26 uh, when he says this, He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And then he asks, do you believe this? Those are incredible words. <laughs> and, and so the first thing he says in verse 25 is that if you believe in me, you'll live even though you die. That means we're all going to die physically. That's just how it works in this life. We're not eternal uh, beings in, in the terms of our physical body. We're going to die. But he says you're going to live even though you die. And then he adds something and says, no, if you live and believe in me, by the way, I would sort of say that Christ is pointing out something that belief is not just a mental ascent to a bunch of data and facts. When you believe in Christ, you live in Christ. If you trust in Christ, you live for Christ. He's trying to put the two together. Whoever lives and believes in me. And so he says this somewhat... Uh, strange sounding statement to the human ear it says if you live and believe in me then you will never die now once again we cannot read this passage from a material physical standpoint in verse 25 you said even though he dies you're going to live and then he says it again in a different way i believe he's saying the same thing in verse 25 and 26 some tried to say that maybe he's referring to those that, those that will be alive when Christ comes won't experience physical death. That could be a possibility, but I think he's basically saying you're never going to die spiritually. And, and so this is one thing we refer to as the Christian hope. And that's the fourth principle, is if you're going to overcome the fear of death, number four, we have to embrace the Christian hope. Now, the Christian hope was extremely strange for the first century because, as I mentioned, there was a lot of morbid view of death. Uh, it was the, it was the um, philosopher Aristotle that said that death is, is the 
is fearful because it is the end of absolutely everything. That sort of surmised how they viewed it. And, and then verses in, in the Old Testament could be fully fleshed out and celebrated more fully with the New Testament understanding because it says in Psalm 116.15, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Now that sounds very strange to us if we don't understand the Christian hope. It's precious in his sight because those who are his saints, those who are his holy ones, those who know him personally, get to come into the presence of the Lord. So it's a precious and hopeful thing. I was reading a quote recently by a, a, a second century Greek teacher or philosopher that was describing to one of his friends the growth of this new sect called Christianity. And he was commenting on how bizarre their view of death was, or how at least how fascinating it was. Let me read to you what Aris, his name is Aristides. I haven't heard of him before, but he, this was in 125 AD, and this is a quote from Aristides. It says this, If any righteous man among the Christians passes from this world, they rejoice, and they offer thanks to God, and they accompany his body with songs and with thanksgiving, as if he were setting out from one place to another nearby. <laughs> In other words, it was the strangest thing ever. These people call Christians at a funeral time when, his, when, there should, when you used to have as many mourners as you could just to come and wail and wail and wail. They're celebrating and rejoicing. Now, I don't mean to say this morning that the emotion of grief is not warranted when loss happens. Uh, there is a time to rejoice and there is a time to grieve. And I don't think we get anywhere when we pretend that loss doesn't hurt. And I, I think we can far too quickly just say, well, they're in heaven, you be happy. But this morning, when we embrace the Christian hope, it greatly helps us through our grief. And it greatly transforms the way that we view death in general. And if we really believe it, the grip of fear won't hold on to us for long. Because we really embrace what Jesus said, that if we live and believe in him, we're never going to actually experience the sting of what death is all about. That's why Paul was able to celebrate in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 15 verses 54 and 55 when he celebrates the resurrection of Christ and says, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? If you knew a huge hornet or mean, angry, massive wasp was coming towards you, yet you knew that the stinger was out, you could just say, okay, you swat it like it was a little fly. But if it had its massive stinger and it's coming your way, you hide from it and you run from it and you want nothing to do with it. Well, as a believer, death that is coming toward us in time, one day, someday, death is on its way to all of us. If you embrace the Christian hope, you realize that it's coming towards you. The stinger has been removed. And so it can come to us without ultimately knocking us down and bringing us down to our knees in absolute defeat because Christ has taken the stinger out of death and has given believers the hope of heaven. I was reading about the founder of a ministry called Child Evangelism Fellowship. And his name is John, and he and his wife Ruth were in their latter years, and he was 
having an illness, and they had a nurse who was training with Child Evangelism Fellowship in their home, and Ruth, his wife, was looking at how energetic and vivacious and helpful this young nurse was as she cared for John in his last days, and he looked at, and she looked at her husband and says, isn't it wonderful to be so young and full of life, and he looked at her and said, you know what, it's actually better to be old and ready for heaven, <laughs> and that's something that, you know what that is, that's the Christian hope that you're embracing, that this world is not our home, and so we're not totally comfortable here. We don't love it so much because it's not our permanent address. There's a greater address we have. Many of you have heard of the famed hymn writer of old named Fanny Crosby, who wrote so many wonderful hymns. She was talking with a, a, a Christian leader one time who said to her, you know, I'm so sorry, Miss Crosby, that you never got to see in this life. And she said, oh, it's been a blessing to be blind. And he said, really, why is that? And she said, well, it's been a blessing because when I die, the first thing my eyes will ever see is my Savior. She had so moved past this life that all she could think about was the next life. And our hope is firmly and squarely in who Jesus Christ is as believers. Well, I like what he asks her at the end, at the end of verse 26. He says, do you believe this? And she says in verse 27, yes, Lord, she told him, I believe that you were the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. And this gives us our fifth principle on how to overcome the fear of death, and that's this, to make the response of faith. Do you realize this morning that we don't naturally go to heaven just because we're a nice person or a church attender. We, there's been a lot of celebrities and famous people that have died recently, and if you look at the articles, most of them have someone talking them into heaven when this person sees the man upstairs or when this person goes up to glory or up to heaven. And in our culture, we like to just preach and talk everybody naturally into heaven, but heaven is for those who have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, for those who've made the response of faith, not for those who've been religious and nice and sweet and better than the next bum and nicer than this other guy. It's for those who've come to know Christ in a personal way. I was talking several years ago, one of the first time I sat down and I met with our church member who's now a staff member named Bill Jones who directs our Christian Care Center. I was fascinated by his story of coming to know Christ. He grew up in a church that did not emphasize the gospel, didn't emphasize a response, a relationship with Christ. But he knew all the facts. He was a good kid. He knew that Jesus loved him and that Jesus died for him and the resurrection, knew about all those things. He also knew he was a sinner. He just had never been told that he had to make a response and give his life to Christ. And there was a Christian group, it was actually Campus Crusade for Christ, knocking on doors at the University of Florida. And they came and knocked on his door and told him about the gospel and went through this little book. He's like, yeah, yeah, I believe that. And then they asked him, hey, have you ever personally invited Christ in your life? Have you ever trusted in Christ for salvation for yourself? And he's like, no, I, I never have done that. And they asked him, would you like to do that? Have you ever come to the place where you'd like to commit your life to Christ? He goes, you know, I totally would. <laughs> I never really knew that was required of me. He looked at several verses that talked about, do you believe this? Have you placed your faith in Christ? And he prayed and invited Christ in his life. And it was the most transforming thing that ever happened because he had all this knowledge in his head and it moved 18 inches to this heart and life was completely changed for him. And maybe you're there today and you've never made that response of faith. And if you don't ever make that response of faith, then the fear of death is something that would be understandable and natural for you because you've never moved from death to life in Christ. 
One last encouragement I have for you today as we consider overcoming the fear of death, and that's uh, later on in the story as Mary comes out and he converses with Mary, and they're about to go to where Lazarus' body is, and they're about to see this amazing miracle that happens at the end of this particular story. You see in Christ's own emotions truly get the best of him. In verse 33, and this is in reference to Mary, he says, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who'd come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and trouble. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. In verse 35, Jesus wept. One of the shortest verses in the Bible and one of the more meaningful ones as well. It, it, it says here in verse 33 that he was deeply moved in spirit and trouble. That word deeply moved in spirit is a word that often refers to anger and agitation. And so there was something about his, his, his care that was very intense. Maybe he was angry at death. Maybe he was angry that they didn't understand about the resurrection that he offered in himself. But he was also troubled in his spirit. And in verse 35, when it says that Jesus wept, I think it's a beautiful picture of the, not only the deity of Christ we're about to see in the miracle, but right here we see the humanity of Christ and that he weeps with us. His compassion is with us and for us. Many have wondered exactly why Christ wept. In some ways, there may be no good explanation. It was just his deep sense of care and love. But I heard it explained to me or read one time that I thought was profound that Christ left heaven and came to earth. He knew glory, and then he knew just how awful this world was compared to glory. Maybe he's weeping because Lazarus, who's already gone there because he believed, now has to come back to this earth, and he's weeping at the pain he's going to experience from leaving perfection in glory. And this morning, the, the, the sixth and last principle about overcoming the fear of death is simply this, to savor the intense compassion of Christ. As we consider this morning about overcoming the fear of death, maybe it's, a, it's grief you're so understandably in the midst of, or maybe it's your impending death that you're afraid of, or maybe the, the fear of someone else that you love that passing away in your life. This morning, we don't have to fear death. If we know Christ, if we've entered in and received his gift of eternal life, hope waits for you. I'd like us to take a moment and bow together as we enter into a time of response. And this morning, as we do each week, we would love to give you here this morning a chance and an opportunity to come, to come forward and, and enter in to a time of prayer so that you might personally come to know Christ. And maybe this morning, you sense the Lord knocking on the door of your heart and you're ready to believe. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the story. We're thankful for your word. And we ask that you would have your own way in our midst today. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the hope that lies in you. And we praise you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.